Well, I um, had the opportunity to be up at our men's retreat uh, um, Friday night and last night, came home late and had an amazing time there. We had, uh, it was our Southwest District men's retreat uh, over the, the last two weekends, actually. They had one last weekend and then one this weekend. About 300 men at each uh, retreat from all around the district. In fact, uh, my friend, good friend Pete Akins, who pastors in Cedar City, Utah, um, they had a group that drove all the way from Cedar City to be there and uh, just had an amazing time. I want to encourage you men, uh, be a part of our next men's retreat. It was a powerful time. Um, God, God moved in, in amazing ways, and uh, it's always good to be together. I, I tell you what, one of the most powerful settings, one of the most powerful things uh, to be a part of is a worship service that is, that's just all men. And when men sing... Oh my goodness. In fact, Pete was leading worship and he said he was on the stage and he couldn't hear himself over the monitors because the guys were singing so loud. It was, it was awesome. It was really good. Um, so be a part of that next time we, that comes up, that comes around. Well, we are uh, in, moving into a new series and I'll introduce that in a second. We're coming out of a series called The Overcoming Fellowship or The Overcoming Church. Um, we've been talking about the, the fact that God has called us uh, to be a church that overcomes. We've, not just a church that overcomes, but be people that overcome in our personal walk with the Lord, in our families, in our relationships, in everything that we, we encounter in our lives that God has called us to overcome. We've been looking at this series as a part of a whole year-long uh, perspective out of Romans chapter 8 that God has called us to be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. That is the goal of our lives here on earth, that we would leave this life and walk into eternity looking more like Jesus every day. Well, this morning, I'm excited for this next four-part series, uh, four-sermon series called or entitled called. I keep saying called, called, and it just sounds weird. It's entitled called, um, called. I've been excited about this this series, as I've been mapping this out and planning this, and as the Lord put this on my heart a while back, because I really feel like this, this series is kind of a rubber meets the road kind of moment for us. And so I know that, that uh, you've been challenged, you've been encouraged. Um, I know in, in life groups we've been talking and I've been hearing back from people that the messages have really been stretching. Anyone being fe- felt stretched by some of the messages here lately? Oh, okay. So some of you. All right, good. Well, I, I will go so far as to say I almost guarantee that this will stretch you. Um, I really hope it does. It's been stretching me. Um, our, our camp speaker up at, at men's camp actually said he's like those moments where as a pastor, the Lord is just uh, kind of kicking your rear end. And he's like, and as pastors, we just get to pass that on to you. So whatever God's been doing to me, I just want to bring that to the table and say, hey, let's engage with this stuff. Um, God wants to stretch us. And as we look over these next four weeks, I want us to look through the perspective or through the lens of our church vision, our mission statement, what we're called to to be and who we were called to, to be. In fact, if you've not got one of these before, if you weren't here for our fall kickoff where we, we, we talked about our new mission statement, I encourage you to grab one of these flyers on the back table. Uh, it has our, our new logo and kind of our new branding, if you will. It's got some contact information. Um, but what, what we're going to land on for the next four weeks is these four icons right on the bottom here. 
The words know, grow, serve, and go. And if we can, I'm going to actually get our, our uh, mission statement, our purpose statement up on the screen here. I want to read this, and you'll notice that there's four words that are in all caps, and those relate to those four icons. So we exist as a church for this reason. We exist to be a faith community who lives the gospel in such a way that people come to first know God, then grow as disciples, serve like Jesus, and go into all the world to reach others for Christ. That's what we're about. And you're going to hear this over and over and over again because, well, it's important for us to own this and know it and embody it as a church body. So when we talk about called, as we come to this, this, uh, this series called and as we start unpacking what it means to be called, it's appropriate and, and really essential that we look at it through this lens because that's what we're about. Otherwise, we're just hanging out on Sunday mornings. And so there has to be more than just a, a gathering. There has to be a purpose. There has to be a reason. We've been talking about being equipped coming out of this series, being equipped for service. Well, it's not okay. It's not enough that you just get equipped and then do nothing, right? You're not going to get outfitted to do something and then never do it. You're going to get equipped so you can do and accomplish the things uh, that God's called you to do. You know, if you're a firefighter and you get equipped to to go fight fires, what are you going to probably end up doing? Fighting fires. I know there was a big warehouse fire in Azusa um, just a few days ago, and it was, it was massive. This thing just went up like, like crazy. And so there were like eight engine companies that came in, and it was just huge. Those guys and those gals train day in and day out to fight fire. They get equipped to do that thing so that one day they can go and do it. When we talk about being equipped, we're equipped so that we can actually do something. And that's where equipping and calling go hand in hand. So we're going to talk about calling as it relates to knowing God. We're going to talk about calling as it relates to growing as a disciple. We're going to talk about calling as it relates to serving like Jesus served. And we're going to talk about calling through the lens of going into all the world. That means your neighbors and the nations and everything in between. I like that. Neighbors and nations. I heard that. I stole that from someone. I was like, oh, well, that's good. Going into all the world and being on mission is about reaching your neighbors and reaching the nations. And God is calling each one of us to be an active part of that. And so we exist for that purpose. And, uh, and I'm excited about what God deposits in our hearts. Over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about, we're going to use some different analogies or, or metaphors for, for uh, being called and what it looks like. We're going to talk about races, running races. In fact, that's what we'll be talking about today. We're going to talk about seeds and trees and fruit. There's going to be a little farming that comes into the equation, um, and that, that, that will be fun. We're going to talk about buildings. Anyone like building? Anyone like doing construction? Right? You're like, oh, just let me add a project. I want to build something. We're going to talk about buildings. And the reason we're going to talk about all of these things isn't just because they're good analogies. It's because they actually are in Scripture. They're, they're pictures that Jesus himself uses and the Apostle Paul uses and, and John uses to describe calling and walking out our calling. So I want you to do this. We're going to turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3 is going to be our anchor passage for this four-week series. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to that passage this morning. And here's what I encourage you to do. Uh, If you're a person who highlights your Bible, underlines, makes notes in the margins, uh, please do that. Um, And if if you don't feel the freedom to do that, find a piece of paper and write on a piece of paper and stick it in that, that place. I love marking up my Bible because when I'm reading, I can... I remember things that God spoke to me, and it's great. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is where we're going to land. We have some other passages we'll look at this morning. They'll also all be on the screen for you to take a look at. But let me do this first. I'm excited, and when I get excited, I talk fast. And, and so what I want to do is kind of slow my roll a little bit. And the best way I know to do that is to go to prayer. Let's cover this in, in prayer this morning. Father God... We invite your Holy Spirit, your presence. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And we invite you to do a work in us, a deep work, a transformational work. Lord, a work that would result in us engaging with our calling as we've never done before. God, I pray that you would bring clarity and understanding Lord, I pray that you would displace and dismiss wrong ideas and wrong thinking and wrong theology this morning, and that you would replace it with the truth of your word, so Lord, that your church, your children, your fellow workers can run the race that you've set set out for us, Lord God, in your name, amen. I'm going to start, I want to read this passage out of 1 Corinthians 3, and then what I'm going to do is just keep referencing back to it as, a, as we work through some different points and some different thoughts, and, and that's going to take place over the next four weeks. So every Sunday, just come, open up your Bible, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, and, and that's where we're going to land, and then we'll just start extracting the truth nuggets out of the Word. You ever discover that when you're reading the Bible, there's just certain things that jump out to you that... Maybe you never noticed before, you never saw before, and you go, oh, that's good. That's why I write in my Bible. I circle things and go, oh, that's really, I'll write that. That's really good. Or that connects to this. And so let's see what comes to us from the scripture this morning. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, I'm reading out of the NIV this morning. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ. Very encouraging way to start this, this chapter. By the way, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church. Uh, and the Corinthian church was a vibrant church. They were a growing church. They were a messy church. Unlike the Ephesian church who pretty much had everything together and, and were doing a good job. And, and Paul just got to encourage them to just kind of keep doing what you're doing. The Corinthian church, he just kept having to say, listen, you've got, you got a good heart. But there's some things that are kind of going sideways, so let's bring it. But, but I tell you, there was an enthusiasm in that church. It was pretty exciting. So as he's writing, think through that lens. It says, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you were still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned each to his task. 
I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each one will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one, uh, each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. There's a lot in there. There's a lot. But I tell you what, if we can grasp a hold of the truths that Paul reveals here and he, he uncovers of the heart of God, it will change the way we live. And I don't mean that figuratively. One of my pet peeves is when people use the word literally incorrectly. I was literally on fire. No, you weren't. You weren't. Um, so when I use the word literally, you will, your life, if you grapple with this and, and lay a hold of these truths, your life will literally be changed. Literally be changed. So let's go there together. Let's take a look at what God has to say. Calling, calling. For some, especially as I've pastured in different contexts, this word calling evokes different kinds of responses from believers. For some people, it's, it's kind of nebulous. It's this kind of hazy thing that's kind of out there. You have this calling, and I hear the word calling a lot, and I've heard messages on calling, and you need to walk in your calling, and, 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 and people just kind of smile and nod sometimes, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And on the inside, they're going, I have no idea what you mean. For many, it actually is, is, a, is something of a place of fear. What if I'm missing it? What if I'm not walking to my call? How do I know? Is this, is this God's will or isn't that God's will? Right? And, and we can boil it down to this point where everything, this point of stress in our lives. For some people, uh, it, it's just, a, it's just a, a, a place where they feel disqualified. Like, well, you got a calling, but psh, I, got, I got nothing. And I don't deserve it either. And so we have to look and unpack a little bit what, what the idea is of the calling. In the modern church... We've been taught a lot about God's promises and blessing. And I say modern, what I really mean is the Western church. And more specifically, the American church. That we've been taught a lot about God's blessings and, his God and God's promises, which is great. It's good. We need to know God's promises. We need to know his blessings. But it's almost like we've overemphasized those things and ignored other parts of Scripture. And so, and we want to know that God is, is, wants to bless us and that, that there's promises and the things 
that he holds, but it's really only one side of the coin. See, what happens is if you focus uh, the teaching to the church and, and the, the equipping of the church and the, the formation of the church simply towards God's promises and his blessings, there's two problems that arise from that that I want to use as our starting point this morning. The first problem is this. It can result in comfortable Christianity. Comfortable Christianity or complacent Christianity, if you take even a step further. Comfortable Christianity says this, God serves me. I go to church to get something for me. How can God take care of me? What can God do for me? Well, how can God provide for me? How can God bring good things into my life? And God ends up being in a place where we expect him to serve us. I tell you what, when I read my Bible, the Bible says God wants to bless you, but it doesn't, it doesn't mince words about who's serving who, right? right? That God does not serve us, that we serve God. We're not a part of a democracy, we're a part of a theocracy. And that's a, par- a problem in our Western mindset is we vote in and, 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 and dismiss elected officials and people. I have a say-so. In God's kingdom, I don't have a say-so. I just simply get to live in, or in line with what the king says. And in, when I align myself to him, there's blessing. See, the problem with comfortable Christianity is it says this, that this life is the goal. That me being taken care of and me being comfortable, me having what I need and what I want and just kind of being happy is the goal. It's the end game. We just saying that we're called to walk from earth into eternity. I'm getting ahead of myself. This life is not the end. See, we have to have an eternal perspective. We have to set our mind on things above and not things below. Things above being of the kingdom of God, which is an eternal kingdom. Things below, that's this earth. And it's temporal, it's temporary, it's not eternal. And those two words, temporal and eternal. Is God temporal or eternal? He's eternal. Are you temporal or eternal? You're eternal. But comfortable Christianity and the teaching that goes along with it says that you are temporal. That this life matters more than the eternal life. And our perspective, forgive me, is jacked up. (laughs) It is. It messes us up. It messes up every decision we make if we buy into that. It will skew and distort the things of God in our lives to the point where we have a perspective. We might not say it out loud because it's heresy, but we'll live it out loud. God exists to serve me. And nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing can be further from the truth. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in fact, Paul uses this word mere men twice. He says, right? Verse 4, one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Paulos. Are you not mere men? Are you not mere men? What is he saying? When you adopt a perspective that says, and what was happening is that some people in the Corinthian church were saying, well, we follow Paul. He's our hero. And others were saying, no, 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 no. Paul's got nothing on Apollos. He's the dude. 
And this faction, this argument rose up between to the point that it got back to Paul, that they were arguing. There was a dispute. Who is greater, Paul or Apollos? And Paul's like, you guys are acting like human beings. Because of this argument, you're forgetting your eternal perspective. And Paul's perspective is this. Paul's nothing and Apollos is nothing. We're just simply doing the thing that God called us to do. And by the way, it's through that work that you actually came to know who Jesus is. So your argument is kind of pitiful because you've lost perspective of eternity. You're acting like mere men. You're acting like temporal men, not like eternal beings. So change your perspective. And so Paul uses that to start setting the tone for the next things that he will say. Are you not acting like mere men? Let's put eternity in, in kind of perspective. It's a hard concept for us to wrap our, our minds around. And we just have to resign ourselves to the fact that we never will. We just, we never will. We do not have the capacity. But let me ask you this question. If, if I asked you, if I told you, listen, how you live the next 24 hours of your life will determine the next year of your life. So if you live, if you invested or you did a certain kind of work or, or if you prepared yourself for the next 24 hours, it would have an impact on the next year. How would you live the next 24 hours? You'd probably be very strategic about the things that you do and the things that you say and the people you hang out with, right? Am I right? But now imagine this. What if I said the next 24 hours doesn't just affect the next year, but the next decade of your life? So how you live the next 24 hours will have a direct impact. If you make bad decisions in the next 24 hours, it will have an impact on the next 10 years. Do you think you would make better decisions? Right? If I told you that in the next 24 hours, the financial investments that you make will affect the next century, let's say you live to be 100 years old, all right? If I told you that in the next 24 hours, how you live your life would affect the next century of your life, how would you live the next 24 hours? I would imagine you would be extremely focused and very determined, right? You're probably not going to go home, put your feet up on the couch, and pop on Netflix, right? But what if... By some miracle, you live to be 200 years old. Or like Methuselah in the Bible, over 900 years old. What if the next 24 hours of your life determined the next 1,000 years of your life? Would you live differently? 10,000 years? 100,000 years? But here's the thing. This doesn't begin to describe eternity. And when we look at our life, as, as Scripture says, our life is but a vapor. It's here and it's gone. It's like the flower that's here today and tomorrow, tomorrow withers and fades. And God's Word says to us, how we live this life will determine our eternity. How you live this life for Jesus Christ will determine your eternity. There's a statement that I, I heard. It says this. What you do with the cross will de determine where you spend eternity. What you do with your calling and with your life will determine how you spend your eternity. Can I say that again? What you do with the cross will determine where you spend eternity. 
What you do with God's call on your life will determine how you spend eternity. See, because part of the problem in, in the church is that we bought into this idea that when I die, I will go to heaven and there will be pearly gates and, and St. Peter will be there and he'll have a clipboard. Or Now it's an iPad. He'll have a big iPad because God loves apple because that's what he did in the garden, right? He made an apple tree. Anyway, I digress. And you're going to get there and he's going to check and say, Oh, yes, your name is on uh, on the list. Come on in, and there's going to be a welcome party, and you're going to get wings and a harp and a cloud. And you're just going to chill for eternity. Does that sound boring? It sounds boring to me. But that is what people's idea, not outside of the church, even in the church. Or, or they go to, to the book of Revelation where we will just eternally be around the throne of God just praising him forever. Now, that's better than sitting on a cloud. But you know that's not what the Bible says? You know that when in heaven, in, in heaven, when we go to this place called heaven, eventually we'll come back to a new earth, what the book of Revelation tells us, and that there will be work to do, and that there will be rewards given, and that there will be mansions and houses and things like God intended it in the Garden of Eden. The garden, the garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, God put them there and he said, now take care of the garden. There was work to do. This idea that we're going to go to heaven and we're just going to just kick back. No, God says, I've got things for you to do there as well. And there'll be relationship, there'll be work. But can I tell you, scripture is clear that how we live this life will determine how eternity goes. Should we pay attention as, as to how we live this life? Should we pay attention to our calling? Absolutely. We can't ignore it. We must not ignore it. We have to make sure that we're aware. So the first problem is a comfortable Christianity. The second problem is this. The church in America is that we've allowed people, we've given place for people to simply come to church, like their church, even be involved in church, but to never actually be challenged to grow. And what ends up happening is you have people who disqualify themselves. So I can go and hear my pastor preach and I can read these books and I can go to the seminars and be a part of the men's ministry and the women's ministry and go to retreats and do all of these things, but never actually get to a place where I say, God has a call on my life. And then in churches all across America and even around the world that people sit in the pews and go, there's a call on the pastor's life. There's a call on the deacon's life, but there's no call on my life because there's no way that God could use me. And we self-disqualify. We eliminate ourselves from the equation. Again, nothing could be further from the truth. That the Bible is clear. That everyone is called. That God has a plan and a purpose for everybody. You know that God has a plan and a calling for those who don't even serve him. That his desire is that none would perish, but that everyone would come to eternal life, which means that God, who is eternal, knows the plans for those who don't even know him or those who even hate him and reject him. He says, I actually have a plan for your life and I have a calling on your life. And it's a case of us engaging with the calling and say, Lord, what is it that you have for me to do? And I go so far as to say that self-disqualification is actually a sin. 
Because you're saying to God, I know better than you. So in the first instance, God serves me. In the second one is, I know better than God. And I'll receive just kind of the scraps from the table, but that's as good as it's going to get. God says, no, 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 no. See, calling is not an optional extra, right? Like when you buy a car and they're like, okay, so you can buy this package, but if you upgrade to this package, you're going to get the nav system, you're going to get the surround sound, you're going to get the DVD player for the kids in the back, so when you're on a road trip, they're not screaming, and you're like, yeah, but how much does that cost? Oh, it's going to be this much extra. Ah, I can just play movie. Okay, I'll take this, this, and this, and I'll leave that and that and that. That when we come to our relationship with God, again, in the context of the Western church, is that we kind of present these options. Well, you can do this with the Lord, you do that with the Lord, and blah, 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 and just kind of find where you fit, and then just kind of cruise out the rest of your life, and let's make sure you're not challenged too much, or you're not uncomfortable. And heaven forbid that the pastor would say something that, that actually tweaks your heart a little bit. Not in this church, but... <laughs> Because don't, don't make me uncomfortable. And so we treat it like this add-on, this ec- optional extra. And God says, it's not an option. Your calling is not an option. It's a mandate. It's a calling. It is from him to you. And he's God. He knows best. And so the smart thing, the wise thing, the prudent thing to do is, I better figure out what my calling is. First, because God said so. And second, because it will affect my eternity. Those are good enough reasons right there, but, but wait, there's more. People have the fear of getting it wrong, and it's a valid concern, as we'll talk about later. What if I miss my calling? What if I don't get it right? I'd love to say, well, God has grace for that. He does, but he has a calling for your life, and he's not going to change his mind. He's not going to adjust his will to match your whimsy. I say that again. God is not going to adjust his will to match your whimsy. And we are whimsical. Oh, I like that. Oh, no, I like this. No, I like this. Now I'm changing. Oh, I want to do this. What do you ask someone, what do you want to do with your life? Well, I'm not sure. I might do this. I might do that. I was there. When I was in high school and into college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And you know that God had to grab me by the scruff of my neck I had, I had wanted to go be an engineer. I wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to be a firefighter. I wanted to be a chef. And I meant those all very legitimately. I actually took steps towards all of those things. And every step of the way, the doors just went close, 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 no, no, no. Until a friend of mine in Olympia, Washington, said, hey, I'm going to Bible college. You should go. And I was like, Bible college? Now, I grew up in church. And I love God with all my heart. But I'm like, Bible college? I want to be an engineer. I'm good with making things and designing things. That's, that's the purpose of my life. Well, you should go, go to Bible college. And at the time, it seemed like an easy way to just get out of town. Plus, I get to go to Southern California. Cool. And I step foot on the campus at Life Bible College. And I can take you to the spot where God said to me, I mean, he, he dragged me there. I didn't end up there because at some camp when I was a kid, the Lord said, I'm calling you to the ministry. Every step of the way, I was saying, no, Lord, no, 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 that's not for me, that's not for me, that's not for me, until he finally got me to to life. And I stood on that campus, and in that moment, the Lord just declared over my life, and as as close to as 
and audible voices have ever come to hear from the Lord. That was an awkward sentence, but... Um, and the Lord just said, I've called you to the ministry, to full-time vocational ministry. This is my call on your life. And I just stood there. I can take you to the exact spot. And I just went, oh, okay. All right, Lord. Not my will, your will. And then he proceeded to undo me. Because I had this idea of what it was going to look like. And he's like, your idea is not my idea. Let's do some deconstructing. But here's the thing. We have this concern that we'll get it wrong, and it's a good concern. Too many pastors, too many preachers, too many books, too many Christian self-help books go, listen, just do whatever you feel like doing, and God's cool with it. No, he's not. There is a call on your life, and you have a responsibility to find out what it is. And we exist as a church to help you know. To know God first, and then to know what that calling is. See, because I can, as a pastor, fulfill my calling to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for your calling if, I, if you don't know what your calling is. So I have to start with you. You have to start with the Lord and say, God, what is that? We have to understand calling the way that God understands calling. All right. So for two years in the 1980s, I got to live in Hawaii. Um, and it's, it's a great place to live, not going to lie. It was a cool place to live. One of the things that takes place every year in Hawaii is this thing called the Ironman Triathlon. Ironman Triathlon. Um, it, is, it is the most grueling one-day event, they say, in the world, sports event. There, there is nothing that holds a candle to just the sheer immensity of exertion and stress and accomplishment as the Ironman. Has everyone heard of the Ironman? All right, so, so here's some of the details. It starts at 7 a.m., starts early in the morning, and it has to because it takes all day. You start out with a nice 2.4-mile swim, okay? When you get out of the water, you hop on a bicycle, and you just go for a nice leisurely 112-mile bike ride, all right? I'm, I would have drowned at the one-mile mark in the water. You get out off your bicycle... And then you put your running shoes on, and to top it all off, you run a marathon, 26.2 miles. All right? This is the Ironman. And it's done in, in a very warm, very desolate part of the world. Uh, you know, you imagine Hawaii being lush and just green. The, the, the west coast of the big island where Kona is looks like the surface of the moon. And mo- most of the race is run through an area... Uh, in fact, I have a picture of that and put that up, not the next one. That is uh, the highway where, the, where the, the bike ride takes place, and they ride 110 miles out, I mean, uh, 55 miles out, 56 miles out one way, and then 56 miles back. And so you're looking at this kind of scenery for most of the time. Oh, and it's blazing hot and, and humid and, and hard. Just very, very, very hard. I can think of better ways to spend a day in Hawaii. Much better ways. And here's the thing about the Ironman, as with any race, any formal race, is the course is laid out. 
They go ahead and they, they say, listen, in the water, they put these buoys out in the water and they're like, you have to w- swim past that, around it, and back. When you ride this bike course, there's a certain way you get through Kona and then you get out on this highway and you go all the way up to the turning point, turn around and you come back. And then you run the marathon, you put your shoes on, and they say, this is the course that's been marked out for you. Run on the course, Right? And you can't just show up on the day of the event and say, hey, I'd like to do the Ironman. Their, their biggest concern, first of all, is that you'll die. And they'll be liable. But they also have huge demand. There's people from all over the world. My dad's cousin who lives in Australia, I mean, in New Zealand, just did the Ironman and, uh, this last year. And he's been training for, for years to do it. In fact, you have to do qualifying events. You, before you can do the Ironman, you have to do an Ironman somewhere else. And before you can do those Ironman events, you have to do other events that qualify you for this event. It's not easy to get into this because you could do some damage. You could do some damage. Participants don't get to choose where they run and where they swim, where they ride their bikes. Because if you go off the course, what happens? What happens? Well, you could die for sure. If you run off of the course in a race, what happens? You're out. You're disqualified. You're disqualified if you leave the course. So you run on the course. People train their whole lives to do this event. Can you imagine you train your whole life and then you get there and you, you start riding your bike and you're like, oh, that looks like an easier way to go. And you ride off the course. You would never do that. You would never do that. Not only that, if you, each of the, the three sections of the race, the swim, the, the, the bike ride, and then the run, have to be completed in a certain amount of time. You have uh, two hours and 20 minutes to do the, the swim. If you don't finish it, if you come two hours and 21 minutes, you're disqualified. You have eight hours and 10 minutes to do the bike ride. Come in at eight hours and 11 minutes, you're disqualified. You don't get to do the marathon, right? At that point, you're like, thank you. <laughs> and the marathon, six hours and 30 minutes. Six hours and 30 minutes. And the cutoff is from 7 a.m. It adds up to being midnight that night. If you come in after midnight, you don't actually finish. As, you, you're not considered a finisher. If you finish at 12.01 a.m., You cross the finish line, you've done the whole race. You're not actually considered a finisher. Kind of harsh, isn't it? All right, this is a perfect analogy. Can you see the setup here? All along the way, there's judges who are saying, okay, are people doing what they're supposed to do? Are they where they're supposed to be? Are they doing the race that they're supposed to to do? And here's the thing. When you start the Ironman, you don't start with this in mind. Right? Because that's depressing. If you, in fact, if I could pan the picture to the left, the Hilton Waikoloa Resort is to the left of this down on the coast. You can just see the palm trees. If you started with this, you'd be like, well, I'm just going to go sit on the beach. You start with this in mind, put up the picture of the finish line. You start with that in mind. See, because every Ironman participant wants to finish that race. And they want to get the medal and they want to get the prize. And they want to have the certificate and the bragging rights to say, I did the Ironman and I finished it. And I got a prize. That's what they're looking at. That's their perspective. That's where their focus is. 
1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, Paul writes this to the Corinthian church, the same audience that we're reading in 1 Corinthians 3. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. For eternity. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I do it to get a crown that will last forever. Eternal perspective. You're not a mere man, you're an eternal man. You're not a mere woman, you're an eternal woman. And you're a part of a race and a part of a calling. The entry into the race was Jesus dying on the cross, by the way. There was a great price that was paid for your life to redeem your life. But you see the difference here? You weren't saved so that you can coast. You were saved so, yes, you can get into heaven, but in this life you will work harder than you've ever worked before. We don't don't preach that a lot, do we? Hey, come to Jesus because he's got a plan for you and it's probably going to involve a lot of work, right? Greg Laurie doesn't put that on his posters, but it doesn't make it any less true that we are a part of a race. He says, I don't run like a man running aimlessly. Why? Because I'll be disqualified. Think about it. Here's the course. I'm a man running aimlessly. I'm all over the map. And God's like, no, you can't, you can't go there. That's not a part of the calling of your life. I do not fight like a man beating the air. There's purpose. There is design. I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul was aware of this. There will be a day where I have to give an account for my life. And the work of my life will either be approved or disqualified. That this is written to believers, 1 Corinthians 3 is written to believers. And when he starts talking about the day, and it's in in, in, uh, capital uh, letter, the day is a day that is coming. It is the day of judgment. In the same way that there is a judge at the Iron Man who says, did you stay on the course or not? That we will be judged in two places in our lives. First of all, the first judgment that we're all aware of is, what did you do with Jesus? It's an eternal judgment that says you either get to go to heaven or hell. And, and we're aware of that in our culture, not just in the church. We're aware of that. The second judgment, though, is less known, and it is the judgment for the believers, not for the unbelievers. It's a judgment for the believers where the work of our lives will be inspected and God will say, what did you do with the life that I called you to live? What you do with the cross will determine where you spend eternity. What you do with your calling will determine how you spend eternity. This is so critical for us to understand. Because it changes everything. It changes the questions I ask of, of the Lord. How I look at my life. How I look at my calling. It stops becoming about what I want and it becomes all about, God, what are you calling me to? Well, I've called you to this. 
Well, that doesn't sound easy. No, it's not. But because of the ministry and because of the thing I call you to do, you know that there will be millions of people that directly and indirectly come to know me because of the the life that you live. Okay, Lord, I'll do that. And by the way, if you're already thinking, oh, you're talking about pastors and missionaries and evangelists, no. That's not what I'm talking about. If God's call on your life is to be an accountant, you better be an accountant. And if you're, the, the call of God in your life is to be a firefighter, you better be a firefighter. Because God sees this eternal perspective and he places you where you need to be. And if he's calling you to be a pastor, don't go be an accountant. Because one day you will stand before the Lord and he'll say, what did you do with your life? Well, Lord, I was a pastor and I got to, to pastor this church in Glendora, California. And, and man, there were people that came to know the Lord and it was great and we hung out and we, we served our community and people. It was just, we had so much fun together. We loved each other and God's like, great, that's not what I called you to do. Wait, What? That's not what I called you to do. That wasn't the call on your life. And then he talks about the gold and the silver and the precious stones and then the wood, the hay and the straw. And he says, they will be tested with what? With fire. What happens to gold, silver, and precious stones when they're subjected to fire? They're purified. And they're made stronger. What happens to wood, hay, and straw? Burns up. God says the work of your life will fall into one of those places. It will either be gold, silver, or precious stones, the building material of your life, and we'll talk more about building in a later message, or it will fall into the category of wood, wood, straw, uh, hay, and straw. If I build a house out of straw, do I have a house? Oh, I do. I have shelter. But will it stand? No. Do you see the picture that he's painting here for us? So it's not that you just work. It's that you work at the thing that God's called you to work at. I'm going to make this statement, and I want you to listen carefully. When we stand at the Bema seat, it's called the judgment seat where God evaluates our lives, when he looks at us and he says, what did you do with the calling, the the life I gave you? Did you do the thing I called you to do? You will not be judged on what you did. You will not be judged on what you did. You will be judged according to what you were called to do. And that should cause in each one of us to be a major gulp. You won't be judged according to what you did. You'll be judged according to what God's call on your life was. And that should cause us to stop in our tracks and go, God, I need to know what the call of my life is. I need to know what it is that you're calling me to. And we run the risk here of painting God in a light where he's just this, again, this mean ogre, this guy who's just ready to pounce on you. But he he gives us everything we need to discover this. That there's nothing lacking in the life of the believer. That God is not playing a cosmic game of hide and seek. And that your calling is not something that he's like, oh, try and figure it out. Right? It's not some kind of riddle. He makes it available to us and he just says, you need to engage with me in such a way that you discover what it is. And for many believers, many pastors, 
We don't actually spend enough time with Jesus to actually find out what his call is. We assume. Or we listen to the counsel of someone else who says, hey, you would be really good at that. And you're like, hey, that person said it, so I should just go do that. And God's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't call you to that. Yeah, but that sounds like fun. Standing before the throne of God, and he says, what did you do with my, my, your life? Well, hey, my pastor had said, or, or my youth pastor, or my friend said, hey, you're good at that. You should do that. So I spent my whole life doing that. And God's like, I never asked you to do that. And you never stopped to ask me. It should cause something to rise up inside of us. It says, Lord, I need to commit myself to finding out if I'm on the right path. And this is not a fearful thing. It's the greatest opportunity of our lives. There's nothing that compares to walking out the call of God in your life. You want the fullest, richest, most blessed life you can have? Walk in His calling. Walk in His calling. Discover what that is. See, we have to align ourselves to who God is first. We have to know God. You don't know the course until you know God. Right? Is that fair to say? You don't know the course laid out for you until you actually walk into a relationship with God. There's no way to figure out what that is apart from a relationship with God. That's why we start with knowing God. As a church, we want people to know God. First, to experience the richness of his love and the saving power of his son and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we want people to know God. But it doesn't stop there. We want people to know God so they can know then what the call on their life is. Those things are attached. They're completely uh, linked together. Your divine alignment. But then the next thing in knowing God is this. It's your divine assignment. Your divine assignment. When you go to school and the teacher says, hey, I have an assignment for you. Right, we have some teachers in the house this morning. When you assign an assignment to your kids and they come back and they're like, hey, I didn't do the assignment that you gave me. I just made one up for myself. Right? <laughs> They're probably going to just be an awkward silence. Especially if they're like in high school. Right? Some of you college students. Right? I, I, I was a student at Life, Dan Stewart is one of the professors there. If I came to Dan and said, hey, Dan, I know you assigned this assignment, but I just made one up for myself, I know Dan. He would laugh me out of his classroom and ridicule me relentlessly <laughs> because you just don't do that. God has an assignment for you, and guess what? You don't get to make up your assignment. He has an assignment for you. I remember when I was a kid, we used to have those choose your own adventure books. You remember those? Anyone? Yeah. Oh, be, be, help me out here. Anyone remember those? All right, cool. So the idea was this. You start reading, you read chapter one, you get to the end, and it says, if you want Johnny to do this, go to page this. And if you want Johnny to do this, go to a different page. And the awesome thing is you could read the same book a dozen times, and it would just always be different. We bring that thinking into our relationship with God where it's like God's saying, hey, just choose your own adventure, whatever makes you happy. <laughs> this book is not a choose your own adventure book. God's, this is God saying, hey, I have a plan for your life and I've made it all available to you. Now just do what I've called you to do. 
And it's going to be awesome. It's better than any adventure you could make up for yourself. So let's go there together. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this, We are God's workmanship, His masterpiece, His poema, created in Christ. We have no salvation apart from Jesus. For what? To live a good life. No, to do good works. And not just any good works. Works which God prepared in advance for us to do. He knows what he's called you to. I tell you what, that you should breathe a sigh of relief because you're off the hook of having to figure out what your purpose is all about. God's like, I know. Let me just download it into your soul. Prepared in advance for you to do. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us do what? Run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And these are just a a couple of the scriptures that address this over and over and over and over in scripture. God says, hey, I've I've got a plan. I'm going to close with this, and this will transition us to next week. We have to discover what our assignment is. We need to find out what the race is that God has marked out for us. But we also need to run the race in such a way as to get the prize. We have to run the race in such a way. John in 2 John 1.8 says this, Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for but that you may be rewarded fully. That you may be rewarded fully. Let me ask you this. If, if there's a full reward, what does that imply? There's a partial reward or no reward at all. And that runner that crosses the line at 12.01 a.m., I imagine that the, the, the judges and, and the spectators, that their hearts are just breaking for them. But here's the deal. The rules say, the rules say at 12.01 you're disqualified. There is no prize. There is no reward. And that kind of bums me out a little bit, but it also motivates me that when we stand before the throne of God and we give an account of our lives, that he will say, here is your full reward. 1 Corinthians 3, he says it's going to be burned up and the man will be saved. This doesn't affect your salvation. Remember, what you do with the cross determines where you'll spend eternity. But what you do with your calling determines how you spend your eternity and what kind of reward you will receive. Church, I believe that for us in this day and age, there's no more important message There's no more important point of understanding for us because we're living in a time where we can't just bury our heads in the sand and go, hey, you know what? Someone else will do it. That God needs every one of his children, his fellow workers, as Paul says, to stand up and engage with their calling so that others would come to know who he is. Let's stand together. I want to encourage you 
for the next three weeks. Do everything you can to be here. And I know stuff comes up and there's things that you have to take care of. But can I encourage you as your shepherd, as your pastor, if there are things that can be done at another time, do it at another time. Be here. And hear the next steps because we haven't even started talking about how do you figure out what your calling is. Wouldn't you like to know? I mean, this would be a bummer of a message if we left it here. But there are steps that we can take to discover what God's call is. And we're going to walk through that together. Make sure to be here. If you have to miss, if you absolutely can't be here, the messages will be online. But make sure to connect. This week, I know we talk about life groups every week, but this week especially, be a part of a life group. Unpack this together with your brothers and sisters. You've received a download today, and you're going to process it. But the next appropriate step is get with a group of people where you can talk this out. Because these investments make a difference for eternity. Father God, this morning, I'm thankful for your call. And I'm thankful, Lord, that there's not one person who doesn't have a call or a design on their lives, a divine design, a divine assignment on their lives. Lord, that you, even for those who reject you, that you even have a plan for their lives. That on that day that they would turn and say, Lord, I believe, I give my life to you. Lord, that at that point they can engage. Lord, I thank you that you've not called us to be comfortable. You've called us to be conquerors. You've called us to be overcomers. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be a church who engages with the call of God on our lives. Every man, woman, boy, and girl. And Lord, that one day... And we would stand before your throne and we would hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Here is your reward. Our prayer team will be available this morning. If you'd like to receive prayer, we'd love to pray with you. If you are wrestling with the area of calling and understanding what the calling of God is in your life, we'd just love to pray with you and ask the Lord to bring clarity. There's anything else in your life that you need prayer with, that someone to agree with, physical healing, financial provision, relationships that are broken that need restoration. We want to partner with you in prayer. Invite you to join us again next week. Invite a friend to be a part of this. Lord, we love you. I bless this congregation as we go. You may you go ahead of us, may you be behind us to our left and our right. Lord, keep our feet on the path, illuminate that road, that, that, that path with your light. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed as you go this morning.